This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Investigative conversations about issues that impact our lives. Be curious. Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hey, and good morning to you. This is Brooke Spector, as you just heard, with the Deep Dive. And for our guest to log in, no stranger to any listeners to this channel, the country's thoughtful, eloquent, and detailed analysts of politics. Um, but where is our guest there, Craig? Hi, Brooks. I can hear you. Oh, you can. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I thought I was looking for a picture from you, and all I hear, I hear a voice, so we're good. We're dealing with a world in transition. Elections of one type or another are taking place in France. The president, who had won an impressive victory just a few months ago as the re-election, lost control of his parliament. In Britain, of course, as everybody who has awakened to the news today knows, uh, the sitting prime minister, Johnson, uh, has dethroned, self-dethroned himself, I guess, and he he will be replaced by somebody not yet known out of his party. Uh, in the United States, we're looking forward to or fearing with great trepidation the so-called midterm election. In Israel, they're going to go into, what is it, their fifth election in four years, or is it the fourth election in five years? I, I can't remember. It seems like an awful lot of them. But in some countries like Russia and China, they don't seem to have such elections. They have another version of things. Even in Brazil, there'll be an election. And South Africa, of course, is facing its own version of electoral uh, activity. The, the governing party is in a state of some, well, pick your adjective, disarray, uh, confusion, multiple directions, uh, in the meantime, there are local elections that come up soon enough, and then there is the national election. And I thought no better person to talk to than to go to Wayne Sussman, who spends much of his time thinking, writing, analyzing, and understanding the South African national electoral dynamic. Wayne, it's good morning to you, and I'm glad you could join us. Brooks, it's great to be with you, and I've always read your articles, but it's good to have a, a I think this is our first uh, conversation, official conversation together, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh dear, it's a national love fest. <laughs> I like yeah. your analysis, you like mine, uh, we'll get along just fine. Let, let, let me ask you a, a, a deceptively simple set of questions. Is the governing party in this country capable of, A, reforming or reconstructing itself such that it can go forward and win elections, and B, what is the likely shape of the upcoming elections? Uh, put, your, put your prognostication skills on the line and tell us how it's all going to come out. Thank you. I think people have to differentiate between the ANC as a governing party 
and the ANC as a political party. The ANC is a political party which contests by-elections, which contests elections. And by the way, I'd make that distinction for any political party around the world. You mentioned Boris Johnson at the start of your show. Boris Johnson was excellent at... Boris Johnson's Conservative Party was excellent at contesting elections. Uh, Boris Johnson, as Prime Minister, besides uh, being involved in some major historical events, wasn't as good as running uh, the country. So I think we have to make that distinction. And that's a global distinction. It's not particular to the African National Congress. So I think the ANC is will remain in big trouble in the Western Cape. I think they are definitely not going to get anywhere close to 50% of the vote when it comes to Gauteng. And I think that there are serious challenges in KwaZulu-Natal. Now, those are the three most uh, populous provinces of the country. That should worry the ANC greatly. I think urbanization is a trend which will continue in South Africa. That's, of course, a global trend as well. Therefore, it's a pretty grim picture for the African National Congress. But we had three by-elections on Wednesday. Uh, one of them was in an urban area in Nelson Mandela Bay. Another one was in a rural part of Mpumalanga. And the ANC support is absolutely rock solid there. So when one looks at ANC as a political party, the ANC as a party which fights and contests elections, in large swaths of this country, yes, they suffered major setbacks in the 2021 local government election, but their support in places like Limpopo, in most of the Eastern Cape, uh, in large parts of Mpumalanga, and in other provinces with strong rural populations, remains pretty resolute. So, yes, the, the, just to finish this, to try to answer your great question, the ANC uh, is more vulnerable than it's ever been before, but I would uh, I would discount it. I, I would be very I would be very wary at writing them off and writing the obituary. Well, no, I, I I guess I wasn't prepared to write the obituary, let alone sign it. But I really was thinking along the lines of a uh, a, a notice on the door. Uh, Please be careful. The, the patient has some serious injuries. Don't upset him or excite him. The, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think that a party of this size, and again, I don't want to be perceived as just picking on the ANC over here. Let's look at the official opposition, the Democratic Alliance, which is which currently has it's, it's, uh, got about the second largest party by a long shot, by about 22, 21% of parliamentary members come from the Democratic Alliance. That party is batting. I think it's very difficult to it's It's easy to run a party where you uh, can call all the shots. I can think of good uh, examples in Israel, uh, such as, let's say, Yair Lapid's party, where he's the person who make all the decisions. But let's say in South Africa, parties where, uh, like the United Democratic Movement, where Bantu and Amisa would call all the shots, parties like the Patriotic Alliance, where I imagine that Gaten McKenzie would call all the shots. Once you start getting to a big political party, and the ANC still, even though in its weakened state, is a gigantic political party, there are very big challenges. There's going to be major contestation for positions. There is going to be major contestation for influence. 
And I, I think even Cyril Ramaphosa uh, would, is going to battle to do that. His job is to get the party in as best condition as he can to, um, to, to the national conference at the end of the year. And secondly, if he gets re-elected as a leader, and right now I think even though he's going through a tough time, his chances are probably the best that he will be re-elected as leader. For him, despite the major challenges, and the challenges I think will increase, not decrease, get his party in the best possible state to, uh, to the national and provincial elections in 2024. I'm going to ask you two more questions. I want you to think about them for a second. Uh, as you may have heard from my introduction, uh, I'm sitting in a restaurant near my house because my, uh, my neighborhood is without electricity yet again at this time of the day. Uh, and I am sure that many, many thousands, perhaps millions of people are suffering exactly the same circumstance. This has obviously been a continuing drama for us all. And doesn't appear to be something that's going to disappear in the next number of months, years even perhaps. Uh, so question A is how much is this going to affect the way people make their electoral choices? But second, how much is the, the dollars in the sofa question, follow, follow gate if you want, uh, how much is that going to affect things? This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we're back. This is Brooke Spector. This is the Deep Dive, and we're speaking with Wayne Sussman, uh, election analyst extraordinaire, journalist, commentator, thinker about the way in which people exercise their franchise to vote, pick their leadership, and insist upon the kind of leaders that they think their nation deserves. Uh, before my commercial break, we I asked Wayne two further questions. One was the effect of the current problems with ESCOM and power delivery to citizens. And the second was the question of the currency of the SOFA, the Fowl-Fowlgate, the president's uh, apparent hoard of reportedly $4 million in U.S. cash for the sale of uh, animal exotic animals. Uh, I think part of the challenge is that people often assume there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between an issue like that and the way in which a voter makes his or her choice when they're actually confronted with the ballot. Wink, your reaction to those two issues, or perhaps others if you think they're even more, even more salient ones. Thank you, Brooks. And let's illustrate it again with examples of elections. When Helen Zilla becomes the mayor of Cape Town in 2006, I think it was, what was one of the issues? Uh, I mean, the DA, uh, for the, the 2006 is uh, that's 16 years ago. It's a very long time. But, I mean, at that stage, the ANC was still a, quite a significant force in Cape Town politics. What drove Cape Townians out in their numbers to the polls, that was, I think, when load shedding started around that time. There were major problems uh, with power stations, power outages. South Africans were becoming accustomed to power challenges. That generated in anger, um, and that generated in translated into the DA not winning an outright majority, 
that's finishing as the largest party in the city of Cape Town and a result which would change their fortunes for the better for all for about 13 years up until the 2019 election. So that was an example of how load shedding, and I don't even know if we're calling it load shedding in 2006, negatively affected the ANC and uh, positively affected an opposition party. Then I give you the example of Nelson Mandela Bay, where we've just had a by-election in the Kwanabushle Township near Karecha, formerly Utenhaeg, on the outskirts of Kabecha. There, uh, the municipality, like the rest of the nation, is dealing with load shedding. And then there's a double whammy of severe water shortages, where the, 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 the spec, excuse the, to use the word specter with, with Brooks specter, but the idea of a day zero spelled differently, is getting, spelled differently. Is, is getting close, uh, correct, spelled differently, is getting closer by the day and by the hour. Yet the voters there overwhelmingly returned the ANC. I think they dropped one percentage point. That, to be honest, that's insignificant. We can say that they matched their, that they matched that percentage. And this was on the back of a very concerted campaign by Action SA, which made the electoral debut in the Eastern Cape on Wednesday, and the EFF, and some other opposition parties. So. Uh, I think it, it, will, it can drive opposition um, voters. Will it turn current voters against the party? Might make them less likely to vote. Will they vote for someone else? I think we need to see more data in that regard. So I've given you two examples, one in 2006, one from Wednesday. And in the latter example, it showed that it didn't negatively impact on the ANC. There was another great example. And by the way, uh, and I remember I started on the show speaking about the difference between the ANC as a political party, a party's contested elections, and a party which governs. Now, in Guiani, in Limpopo, in, um, I think it's in the Mopani region, near, near the, 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 the Kruger National Park, I remember that before the 2019 elections, the community, many parts of Guiani did not have water for five weeks. I mean, if they had water, it was sporadic at best. And again, there, the ANC's vote share was, was essentially the same. I think it went from 75% to 74%. Because I think when voters are obviously voting on memory, on voting for the fact that they associate the ANC with uh, liberation in South Africa, that they associate the ANC with giving them a house, with giving them roads, with giving them an education. And I, I think, so it's a, whole, it's a whole host of factors. But I, I think, as I said again earlier, we're starting to see major distinctions with Gauteng. We've already seen them in the Western Cape, and we saw them in 2021 uh, with Natal. I think that the ANC's room for error in those three popula- high, high population provinces is going to get less, uh, but there might be more empathy from voters that in, in, in other provinces. So I, I haven't answered that question directly. With regards to the president's current scandal, I um, and maybe the advice he's getting, but one of the criticisms of the president is that he does very precious few press conferences, uh, and he has very few media engagements, and he's simply not asking the question. Now, this scandal, uh, um, which is, by the way, being driven more by 
his detractors within the party from the RET faction than it is from many of the opposition parties uh, is not going away. And it is tarnishing his image. He was uh, always seen as a reformer, seen as a pragmatic business person who would grow the economy and, uh, uh, and bring renewal and change to the ANC. So the longer this sticks, the bigger the headache it will be as we approach the ANC's national conference at the end of the year, and the more it will undermine his leadership of his party and the leadership of the country. Yeah, one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot in American politics is the rise and rise of what's called the single-issue voter, reproductive rights or, or uh, right to life, uh, gun control or Second Amendment rights, and the way in which single-issue voters tend to pick and, and vote for a candidate regard, almost regardless of any other question on, solely on the basis of one preeminent or overarching issue. I don't detect in this country, in South Africa, quite the same fascination with a single issue that, that uh, drives or determines the way a voter votes. Uh, I think more in terms of general life circumstances. Is my life getting better? Is my life getting worse? If my life is getting better, then you stick with the horse that brought you to the, to the, on the road. If it's getting worse, you begin to think about other choices. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. And maybe, I mean, I'm someone, as you know, who has a lot of time for America and a lot of time for American politics. I remember once in our conversation, let me digress, that I learned about chicken farming in Delaware from our conversations and how that was a important uh, constituency. But let me come back to the question at hand. I think it's not the end of the world that we are not a nation which tears itself out over, over abortion, over gun rights, over, uh, over federal rights when it comes to voting and redistrict, redistricting. I'm, I'm grateful that we don't have to deal with challenges which could tear a, a country and a society apart. But I, I agree, we haven't reached that stage yet. Uh, particularly on a national election or on provincial elections where there are single issues. You sometimes see that in local government elections where you can see voters energized to go out and vote because of uh, the, the lack of attention to a substation or to water. But we do, we're not driven by single-issue politics. I would say that when voters go to the polls, so South African voters are quite sticky. I think this is something which has certainly helped the ANC and it has helped the DA to some extent. Uh, that voters are quite conservative once they've made, the, they're quite brand loyal. And that's why, even though the ANC and the DA have had some missteps, yes, they suffered some setbacks, but those setbacks have been quite limited. And I, I think that's because voters are largely loyal and are not going to be swayed by single issues yet in our elections and politics. In recent weeks, recent days actually, uh, the last part portion of the Zondo Commission uh, on state capture and other financial and political shenanigans, I don't think that was the precise exact title, but I like it, uh, dropped a, a bombshell of a sort. One of the final recommendations was 
uh, in violation of everything that South Africans thought they understood about their political system, he recommended direct election of the president. Now, that is not the way the Constitution sets things out, and it's certainly not the way the last all elections in South Africa have been run. Uh, A, is that likely to be debated fiercely or ignored? And B, if it were to happen, what would be the effect on the party system and elections more generally in this country? What do you think? Yeah, I don't think we're going to see direct elections. I know we're looking at a lot of electoral reform bills at the moment, but I don't see direct elections coming soon. By the way, the ANC, for the moment, and uh, what I, I said, if we said for the moment three or four years ago when it came to South African political analysis, it would mean something totally different today. But I, I mean, yes, I think Ramaphosa looms much larger than any of the other opposition leaders or other figures in society who might want to uh, enter politics. So he might benefit in the short term in that regard. But I don't see it. I don't think it'll ultimately work for the ANC to have a, to have direct elections. I don't think it'll work for the country. So I think the status quo will remain. Of course, there are challenges with the status quo. We always hear the debate or discussion whether there should be less provinces or uh, we should scrap provinces, etc. But I, I think the system as it is uh, and the way it was designed will remain intact. Um, we don't have we don't have uh, personalities like Ted Cruz in South African politics who say that uh, the constitution should never be changed or amended in the way it's interpreted. But I, I still don't see that changing in the in, in the short term. And your second question, Brooks, was just remind um, me. Yeah, the second question was, should it take place, uh, and you've answered it in part, the, the net effect on, on politics and the electability of, of uh, a person like Cyril Ramaphosa? Yeah, so I, I think if that election was held today, direct election, even though he's got the Pala Pala scandal, there would be... Uh, Ramaphosa would uh, probably uh, do marginally better than his party would do. But I think that that gap will get closer and closer. That's why, I mean, the results in Gauteng in the 2021 local government elections were fascinating. Because that's a province strongly associated with Cyril Ramaphosa. It's where he um, obviously spent, um, it's where he lives most of the time. And the ANC came unstuck. So, yes, he is a figure which, uh, as I said, I, I can't think of another figure in the ANC right now which will do as well, top of the ticket. Let's even take a younger person like Ronald Lamola, the Justice Minister. Let's take people um, in the RET factions. I think if any of them were at the top of the ANC ticket, they wouldn't do as well as Sora Ramaphosa can. But I, I think the gap between them and the party is definitely um, uh, closing, and it's going to be harder to position himself as someone who's separate to the ANC and much of its many challenges faces today. We're speaking all things election with Wayne Sussman, who is one of the country's premier uh, election analysts, commentators, writers about it, lives, breathes, and thinks about elections and voters and districts and percentage and uh, survey marginals and 
all the rest of this good stuff is sort of like South Africa's answer to Nate Silver in a way. Uh, Nate Silver is famous for having really taken that craft and turned it into a public obsession at the New York Times uh, and in his website, 538. Uh, there you go, uh, Wayne. You should start your own website with, with this kind of stuff, too. Well, the, Brooks, just on that, I think the coverage of South African elections, and I've observed this as a young kid since I was 13, 14 years old, since the first democratic elections, I think the best coverage and analysis, and I don't want to say it because I was involved with some networks and uh, some media publications, uh, the best ever coverage of our elections is the last election. And by the way, I think when you have a 538 and a Nate Silver, and when you have South African radio stations like High FM and TV stations and uh, news publications cover elections properly, it really drives up interest in elections. People think of the consequences. People take much more interest if you can have proper analysis. And I, I saw in the 2021 local government elections where, I mean, like a few years ago, you'd see someone at a voting station that'd say, well, the ANC has gone from 36% to 33% in this voting station then. The DA has gone from 15% to... Uh, it's, it's, it's totally colorless and meaningless. And I think what we saw in the local government elections, and a lot of this is because of people like Nate Silver, is that South Africans now have a deeper appreciation of what the different types of elections mean, what, um, what it means if a party goes up, the consequence of an outright majority, the consequence of a coalition. And I just think that's going to continue in South Africa, that there will be more and more people who will have pictures of Nate Silver on their desk or the other versions, African versions of it, European versions of it, and try and make it come alive. Because it is a spectacle. Elections, it's one of the things why I was drawn to in elections. I love my sport. And I think I always say that the coverage of an election, we have elections in South Africa, the, the, the national and provincial elections are every five years, the local government elections are every five years, this is like a World Cup final, and the media need to, uh, media in South Africa need to see the potential in covering it and make it an experience where people will not want to switch off their high FM radio, will not want to switch off their TV, and will want to be refreshing um, the internet sites or the newspapers reading constantly for more information and better analysis. I'm, I'm going to ask you another question, and I'm going to reach before I do a, a quick break, uh, but I'm going to ask you to contemplate the uh, the contradiction between that kind of interest and the fact that, as a whole, participation in elections, uh, raw voters versus actual participation, has been slipping for the last number of elections rather than rising. And speculate a bit on that. But question two, what does this hold for the future of the governing party or other parties in Hauteng itself, where most many high FM listeners uh, reside. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And good morning. And this is indeed Brooke Spector with the Deep Dive. And with us by electronic means is Wayne Sussman, South Africa's 
uh, election guru, man who keeps track of every vote that takes place in every precinct, in every ward, and every province, local, national elections. He's the go-to guy. We we go to. That's what the frame com comes from, obviously, to get some analysis and understanding. And just before we took our last commercial break, I, I posed a couple of questions to Wayne. I hope he's had a chance to think about them. And the first was the apparent contradiction between what he's, what he's described as a maturing electorate and, and hopes for a more interested electorate with the reality that the percentage of people actually voting has been slipping for years. Wayne, what, what, how would you how would you deal with address that perhaps? Yeah, I think back to the late uh, and I'll call him great Ivor Sarakinsky, who passed away before the 2021 local government elections. The most wonderful of uh, political com commentators and analysts, and it was deeply concerning for him. I mean, he died before the 2021 local government elections, but when we looked at the 2020 the 2019 results together was deeply concerning that more and more South Africans were not seeing their vote making a difference, not seeing their vote as giving an agency to make change, whether it's to revalidate the AMT or give another opposition party a chance. And that's worrying if we do not think that democracy or participation uh, by putting an envelope in the ballot box can change our lives for the better. As a society or as a country, we risk coming apart more if people just stop participating in elections. And it's a, it's a, it is a contradiction. So as part of that maturing and interesting and interesting electorate, uh, and I think some of them are interested in what I have to say, uh, so you must never attack people who are interested in what you have to say. But I think there is a kind of cynicism. I agree that a lot of politicians do nothing. I agree that a lot of politicians can do more. I agree that a lot of the councils we elected in November 2021 are sometimes not reachable. But I also know of many ward councillors across party lines, across the length and breadth of this country, who are trying their darndest. Despite the load shedding, despite the major infrastructure challenges in this country, to provide uh, a to 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 represent. Uh, and uh, their constituents, whether it's on a local level or on a, or on a parliamentary level, to represent their interests and to try to solve their challenges. And I think we sometimes need to take a step back. Uh, I just, I live in a ward where I've been, besides for, uh, besides for my family, the person who I hear the second most from on WhatsApp is my ward councillor, who's just reporting challenge after challenge, problem after problem. And I think uh, we sometimes can be cynical and jaded and just, I, th I think we sometimes need to take a step back and realize that not every politician is corrupt, not every politician is uh, lazy or not trying to do a job, that there are a lot of good, uh, hardworking people across party lines who are trying to make a difference. So I think we need to give them space. And I think when one becomes an analysis, an analyst uh, and interested in elections, we can't afford ourselves the luxury of, uh, of just being spectators. We have to carry on being involved. We have to carry on voting. We have to carry on going to campaign events and listening to what, what politicians are saying. So I hope that divergence will not widen going forward. It's a great question, Brooks, because it does concern me that, as you said, 
more people are interested in ele- uh, elections today, the less people are participating. But I'll give you some good news. And what we've seen in a number of by-elections since the, lo- uh, the 2021 local government elections, where turnout was pitiful, extremely worrying, is that in many by-elections, and remember the trend in by-elections is that turnout is usually lower than the turnout in, uh, in a local government election. In some of the by-elections, turnout has been higher than the national and provincial elections. So this isn't a trend which uh, follows, uh, this isn't uh, a consistent trend, but there have been numerous by-elections uh, in the last few months where I'm filled with hope that South Africans are seeing that their vote still has meaning, still has power. So hopefully we'll see a closer, we'll, we'll see that trend line come closer together with interest in the elections and participation in elections. Uh, your, your answer triggers a, a, a thought in my mind. Uh, there's another contradiction, of course, that local elections uh, tend to be the kind of thing that, how shall we put it, that are more important for the actual lives of individuals, and yet at the same time, people tend to vote at lower rates than they would at uh, national elections. Yes, so in 2016, that actually changed somewhat, i.e. the gap between participation in the 2016 election and the 2019 election was actually quite close, but uh, in 2021 was very low. I think... That is why local government elections and one of the reasons why I enjoy covering it. This is absolutely crucial to every single day, your everyday life. It's refuse removal. It is water supply. Often, with respect, um, and the, I, I have great respect for the mine premiers of this country and the MECs, but I think that metros and municipalities have a bigger impact on your life and impact, effect on your life then provinces do, and even some of the major national departments in government. So I would hope that uh, listeners will see the importance of by-elections and uh, local government elections, because this affects your every single day life. We're going to wrap up our conversation in just a minute, but first, uh, a word, an important word, a critically important message from one of our sponsors. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Uh, Wayne Sussman are uh, one of the people, the go-to people that we talk to to understand elections in this country and voter uh, preferences. Wayne, I asked you one other question which you didn't answer yet, but to sum up and to bring us into the future perhaps, what's the prognosis for governance in our province in Gauteng over the next number of years? Who will rule? Who will govern? Who will be in charge? Yeah, I definitely think that even though Panyaza Lusufi, who might not be every high FM listener's cup of tea, was elected as the Housing ANC leader and is most likely to be the ANC's candidate for Premier, as things stand today on this um, warm, well, warm, wintry day in July it's highly unlikely that the ANC will get close to 50% in 2024 on the provincial ballot in Gauteng, and that while the ANC will probably finish as the biggest party, 
they'll have to look for coalition partners. As things stand, even though the EFF and DA uh, are bitter enemies, well, bitter rivals, my reading of the situation is that the EFF sees that their path to growth is through a weaker ANC. Parties like the DA and Action SA see their path to growth as a weaker ANC, and that even though they have a vastly different policy position, it would be in their medium and long-term interests, well, sorry, their short and medium-term interests, to hold their nose and work with opposition parties. Uh, having said that, uh, one of the things which the ANC would should run on is to say that where South Africans have experienced coalitions, these have not been uh, uh, good experiences, and that it is better to have one party firmly in control. And that uh, is a message I expect the ANC to drill home. But as things stand today, uh, I think it's going to be a historic election in 2024 in Gauteng and possibly in some other provinces as well. I'm going to close with, the, with my own thought that I, I'm not convinced that coalition government is necessarily a bad thing. There are countries in the world, uh, the Netherlands, for example, which traditionally have been run by coalition governments. Germany, for many years, also had a form of coalition government. And even in the United States, although we think of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party as separate entities within them, there are such divergent views that for all intents and purposes, many people see them as coalitions of interests and ideas and groups. Uh, I, I think coalitions can force people in politics to begin to learn to work with each other rather than necessarily against each other. And I, I think it's, it's a sign of health when such a thing may have to take place. And with that, I'm going to have to say thank you, Wayne, for joining us for the last hour. It's been very interesting. I've learned some things, and I hope that our listeners have as well. On behalf of High FM, tune in next week for another deep dive on an important topic with a, with a guest who knows what they're what. How to put that with a guest who actually knows things that we all need to know. Let me leave it at that. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week on Friday morning.